the term rabbi, which means teacher, um, is a nondescript term. Um, it was actually safe uh, for the followers of Jesus to use, but it was also safe for the foes of Jesus to use. Um, even the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, could safely call Jesus rabbi and not implicate themselves as one of his followers. Um, he was not their teacher. He was a teacher, but not their teacher. But Jesus um, sought to cut to the chase with his disciples, particularly by asking the question, who do people say that I am? And he was not talking about rabbi. They knew that he was speaking in reference to his life and his calling. And so they said to him what had been the talk of the street. Some are saying that you are John the baptizer, who it would make sense to suspect in Jesus because John the baptizer had been put to death and his spirit almost as a reincarnation perhaps in their minds was present in Jesus. How many people have I had say to me at the death of a loved one that when a butterfly comes along or a bird shows up at such and such a time that they sense the presence of their loved one in that animal or in that insect. Here in this situation, it would have been um, very easy to surmise that the spirit of John the baptizer was in Jesus. And they went on to say that, or perhaps you are Elijah. Some people are saying that you are the great prophet that is going to signal the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And if you're not Elijah, then you are at least one of the other great prophets of our history come to speak truth to us. And so then Jesus makes the question um, more individual, um, or at least to the group that is gathered around him, but who do you say that I am? This passage of scripture is just before the occurrence that was read just a few moments ago. And you can almost, you can almost sense Peter's hearing this question and his putting his hand up and saying, I've got this, I've got this. You are the Messiah. Now, it may well be that it had never fully come to Peter until that moment in his speaking it out loud that he believed that Jesus truly was the Son of God sent to the earth, but he spoke truth. You are the Messiah. Immediately, Jesus told not only Peter, but the rest of the disciples not to say a word about this. In fact, he spoke sternly and said, do not spread this word. Scholars of the scripture say that it is best thought of as the messianic secret. We don't understand exactly why Jesus would have wanted to keep this secret. You and I want to spread the news about Jesus, don't we? We want to tell the world about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to spread the news about who Jesus is, what he has 
about and yet Jesus is not telling the story of who he is? Why would he want to keep this secret? And some have conjectured to think that perhaps it was because he did not want to prompt his death any sooner than it need be. Not because he was scared of dying, but because he had a mission to accomplish and that it was going to take time for what? For what? Wasn't his calling to come and to give his life upon the cross? That was not all. Jesus was here to explain the very nature of who God was, that God could be seen through him. This messianic secret moves beyond the who of Jesus to the what of Jesus. Jesus teaches about his resurrection only after he talks with his disciples about his rejection and his death. When Jesus shares about what is coming for him, Peter's reaction is so true to who Peter is. The concept was so dark, it was unimaginable to Peter. Peter was thinking in his mind that things are going so well. Things are going so well. And so he rebukes Jesus and tells him to put that stuff away. Doesn't Jesus remember who Jesus is? Doesn't Jesus remember the feeding of the thousands? 5,000 here, 4,000 there. Doesn't Jesus remember just then the healing of one who couldn't see? Doesn't Jesus remember that he healed a man just a day ago? Somebody that could not hear. Doesn't Jesus remember that he raised a little girl from the dead? And so he rebukes Jesus, tries to tell Jesus who Jesus is. And that doesn't work out so well. Because when Jesus looked at Peter, you could know what was going to happen. Jesus spoke very forcefully, more forcefully than any other place in the scripture that it's recorded that he spoke to his disciples. Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I don't think about Peter as being a devil. But he was using ways of thinking that were not of God at that time. You know, you and I, can have quite different ideas of who Jesus is. You look across the United States of America and see churches on every corner. But you get inside of the buildings or talk with people on the streets and you begin to realize that their ideas of Jesus may be very diverse from one another. Someone believes this about Jesus. Someone believes this about Jesus. And it makes a huge difference in the way in which you and I live our lives. What we embrace about Jesus Christ. Peter's idea was wrong. 
It was wrong. Jesus was saying that to himself. Jesus said, Peter, what you are saying is exactly the opposite of why I came. Peter's idea was wrong, and he needed an intervention from Jesus himself. Have you ever been the recipient of an intervention, or have you ever assisted with an intervention? I've assisted with a number of interventions. This is one of those things that falls into the parameter of what pastors do. Usually it's a family member that comes and says, would you help me in this situation? Or it's someone else that is a friend of an individual that's having problems. And it doesn't, it has never become something that I look forward to in life. It is a part of of the difficulty of being a pastor. I say it's a pastor's responsibility. You know what this is about. You've done it in your family. You've run into people that you've had to speak words to that you would rather have not said. What are the things that we deal with that are so difficult? You may run into somebody who's having a health problem. It may be they have a problem with their heart or a problem with their lungs or something that they're doing that is causing a health problem. And you think to yourself, somebody should say something in order that they don't just kill themselves by what they're doing, the lifestyle that they have chosen. And then all of a sudden it occurs to you, maybe I'm that person, maybe I'm the one that's supposed to intervene for them and so you do speak and then what are you met with this retaliation who are you who are you to judge me they say and you don't understand my circumstances I'm not as helpless as you think that I am this is typical of every intervention that I have ever been involved with and you felt this too haven't you doesn't matter what the situation is, doesn't matter if you're dealing with physical problems, doesn't matter if you're dealing with drugs, whether you're dealing with alcohol, whether you're dealing with sex or food or uh, post-traumatic stress problems, whether you're dealing with just an addiction to watching television too much, whether you're addicted to gambling, whatever the problem might be. I, I had a minister friend of mine that told me just a week ago, she said, she said, I gave up Facebook for Lent. <laughs> I said, what? She said, yeah, she said it was controlling my life. She said, I needed it. I needed to get rid of it for at least a while. She said, I'll go back to it. But, and I'm not trying to diss Facebook uh, because I think that there are some good things about it, but it is something if you if you haven't been involved with it maybe you don't realize but it it is it has been uh, for me an issue at times too that if if I could just get the few little tidbits of information that are good out of Facebook but I haven't learned how to do that I always go to that news feed and I'm flipping for an hour you know and and hearing every story from every person and and I lose myself in the midst of that Now, some of you don't have that issue, but others of you will understand why this friend of mine would have given up Facebook for a period of time in order to regroup and to center her life on Christ. 
more fully on Christ in the midst of these coming days. Peter's faulty notion of following Jesus is that which we give ourselves to, and that is the kingship of Christ rather than the human vulnerability of Christ. We sing hymns and worship that lend themselves toward that immortal, invincible, God only wise is a favorite hymn of mine. And yet it does not tell the whole story of who Jesus was, this one who became the revealer of how very vulnerable God is in this world. What is at stake here is the very messianic mission of Jesus Christ. And if we don't get this right, can we really say that we are followers of His? This is a call to sacrifice, a call for us to take up our cross and to follow him. Do any of you know the name Keith Wheeler? I did not until I saw him in a parade. It's been, I guess it's been 15 years ago now. He was in Dublin, Georgia for the St. Patrick's Day parade there. Um, There were floats before him and behind him There were high school bands that you could hear up the street and down the street. And here comes Keith Wheeler, and he is carrying a cross, a rather large cross, on his shoulder and walking down the middle of Main Street in Dublin in that parade. And I thought to myself when I first saw him, I thought, who does this guy think he is? And then I looked even more judgmentally, and I saw that on the end of that cross, trailing behind him, there was a wheel attached to the cross, and I thought, come on. (laughs) Boy, you've made your work easy for you. And then I began to be plagued by the thoughts of who this guy was. And, and I got online and I began to look up Keith Wheeler. And I went to his website and he explained in that website he was intending to circumnavigate the globe. He had already walked 15,000 plus miles. And the only reason there was a wheel on the end of that cross was because he had worn out several crosses in his expedition to walk throughout cultures. On his website, there were pictures of him in Cambodia and Vietnam and Russia and everywhere he was walking, everywhere he was walking. Strangely enough, people would come to him 
who were puzzled. Some were puzzled by what he was carrying, did not know what the symbol was about. And so he was able to tell them about a God who loved them enough to send his son to die on the cross for them. For those who were Christian and knew the symbol quite well, they were drawn to it just immediately, just to be close to someone who was carrying this great symbol that we so revere. Jesus came as an intervention in Peter's life in order that he might get Peter past the idea that all of this is a high road. There's great, great difficulty to come for anyone who ever has called him or herself a follower of Christ. Let me tell you, if you're doing it the way that Christ would have you to do it, there is suffering that will be there in some way in your life because of the choices that you must make. In my family, we have more than our share of preachers. It's a part of my DNA. Did y'all realize that? It, it, is, uh, it's, it really is strange. I, I told somebody the other day I felt like a Levite more than a Methodist in some ways. I, this carryover of the next generation of those that will be in charge of the temple. But my Uncle Jack and my Uncle Billy... Um, came from a family. They were living over in a little town called Adrian, which is over just the other side of Swainsboro. Some of you know where that is, in between Dublin and Swainsboro. And they grew up there, uh, and both of them became pastors, very renowned in the South Georgia Conference and preached all over the place. In fact, very respected preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my saintly mother grew up in that family, Berthanel Key, who, uh, who gave of her life to, uh, to ministry in so many, many different ways and, and married a, a pastor, my father, who is now retired. And my mother's sister, who gave of her life in ministry, and her name was Marjorie. She gave of her life in the Salvation Army, lived out all of her adult days, young adult and adult life, to her death in the Salvation Army. But there was one other brother, the eldest in that family. And his name was Woody. Woody wasn't a preacher. In fact, if you ever talked to Woody, Woody would say, now you know who I am, don't you? And they would say, we would say, who? And he would say, I'm the black sheep of the family. But let me tell you, Woody was a fascinating individual. He was a merchant. If you've ever heard of Dolores and Woody's years past now in Swainsboro, which was quite a boutique there, uh, Woody was the was the owner of that store and he was the operator for years and years. Um, some of you will remember the tensions that were a part of society back in the 1960s particularly. I am so grateful 
that we have moved to a different place in our story. But the racial tensions were so hard for the communities across the South, and especially in South Georgia, that there was a separation, a line that you would not cross from one race to the other to keep people in their place. And Woody, Woody, being the good Christian layperson that he was, tried to think to himself, what can I do? What can I do to affect the changes for the good in our community of Swainsboro? And so Woody went out one day and hired a young black man to be in charge of his men's department. Now, you may say to yourself, well, what's so big about that? You do not understand the 1960s in South Georgia to raise that question. It was huge in Swainsboro. Now, I will say that immediately upon his doing that, he had, he had made a lot of friends. A group in town who knew this young man and were family to him and friends of his who immediately became patrons of Dolores and Woody's from then on. But let me tell you, when he did it, he also made an enormous number of enemies. Woody would not tell the story himself. Usually it was Billy or Jack, his preacher brothers that were telling it. The KKK burned a cross in the front yard of Billy's house. I mean, of Woody's house. And were intending to send him a message that would undo the witness that he had. Jesus called Peter to revision what it might mean to call him Messiah. To realize that to call Jesus Lord and Messiah is a thing that leads to sacrifice and even suffering. For some, even death. How can our suffering and vulnerability lead others to know what God in Jesus is all about? The Apostle Paul saw through to the nature of who Jesus was. You remember that when he wrote the church at Corinth, that the Apostle Paul said to them, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now you and I would say, when I am strong, then I am really strong. But no, the Apostle Paul had seen through to the very nature of who Jesus was. When I am weak, then I am strong. I do not want to say to you in a discouraging way 
that it is darkness and gloom and doom for you out there in the future. (laughs) For those that are truly following. No, because I know that Christ is with us. God has said he would be with us on the entirety of our journey. One of our favorite passages of scripture to use here at Pittman Park is Psalm 23 with that encouragement, the valley of the shadow of death. God is with us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. And I believe this. But for you and I to forsake the idea that God might be calling us to sacrifice something or to think that Christ has stopped sacrificing himself is an affront to the very nature of who he is and what he is about. And so what is it in us that needs to be set right? How is it that God might be calling out an intervention to point us in the right way?